0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much, and enjoy today's podcast.
1: I'm giving you a picture of the destruction of Jerusalem beforehand. I'm showing you all this to to show you how terrible your sin is. Mm. It's not just you're making political deals and hedging your bets. That's a really prosaic way of saying that you are worshiping spiders
0: yeah <laughs>
1: right right like right. so he's like he's in this mode of trying to provoke shock and awe yes among the exiles right because they've been
0: doing this for a long
1: time a long it time. has become
0: super common this is
1: this is the way they've
0: always right
1: dealt with god and other gods and yes. other nations and so ezekiel is in this mode of trying to shock them to show them what this deserves welcome to the spoken gospel podcast Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible is about him. In each episode, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in.
0: Well, Welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our walk through the book of Ezekiel. We have looked at what the book is, what prophetic literature is, where it is in space and time, in the history of Israel. And now we've walked through the first like three chapters or so, the opening, surprising, staggering visions that Ezekiel saw of God on his throne chariot moving wherever he wants, having dominion over all creation and on all other gods. And he's not where Israel thinks he should be, locked in the temple, doing whatever they want. Instead, he is yeah. showing I'm leaving the temple. The temple will fall. And yeah. now we're gonna hear some of the reasons why it's falling and the harbingers of doom, the mourning and lamentations. Here we go.
1: Yeah. I feel like you're getting increasingly proud of how good your summaries are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like a skill that you've been working on secretly in I've the been dark. doing it for years now. It's just it's just I got ripped, I got the reps in.
1: Yes, we are following the journey of the throne of God out like it from Babylon, how did it get there and how it's going to get back. Yes. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How and why is God's throne chariot not where it's supposed to be in the temple.
0: Okay. Yep. Awesome. Uh, anything else we need to have in our brains. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes of Ezekiel, Mm -hmm. we highly encourage you to go back, listen to those, to have the right framework. If just like some contextual stuff, once you get out of
1: chapter 3, the next, all the way up to chapter 33, the prophecies from chapter 3 to 33 happen within the space of five years. Okay. So in those five years, Ezekiel is prophesying the fall of Jerusalem, the need for the exiles to repent of the idolatry that they've carried with them mm. from uh, Jerusalem and are still committing in an exile, and trying to convince them of the horror of their sin for these 30 chapters.
0: Okay. And is, so is his goal, what is Ezekiel's goal? Because I think about Jeremiah, he's yeah. like, repent, yeah, change. What's Ezekiel's prophetic goal?
1: It's interesting because we, as we were studying for this, we kept thinking like, is his goal to help them repent, like make them repent? Mm. Interestingly, he only tells them to repent twice. Okay. Um, He says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Right. Calling them the wicked people. Yeah. But nevertheless, they should repent. Mm. So it's actually, it seems to be a minor theme. Although, or maybe an implicit theme more than an explicit theme in Ezekiel. I think Ezekiel's goal, more so than to communicate the need for repentance, although that is implicit, yeah, it's to convince them of the horror of their sin, mm. to see how heinous yeah. what they've done is when they look at the glory throne chariot that is I in see. Babylon with them.
0: And is some of the purpose of that to get them to come around to the judgment that, has been pronounced on them that God is upholding the covenant mm-hmm. promises that He will curse the wicked. Yeah, and they need to see that they are the wicked, and therefore they can st- stop disagreeing. Yeah. with the the curse that's coming. Yeah, and we they can it. actually say like, "Oh, yep, God is writing out against us, and He's right."
1: That's right. Like over and over again, uniquely to Ezekiel, He uses the phrase, "So that you would know that I am the Lord, so that you know that I am Yahweh, the the covenant God." Mm. And so, and he uses that primarily in these prophecies of judgment, like in judgment, I want you to know that I am the covenant God. You think my covenant is limited to the positive things that I will do for Israel, giving you a land, giving you a king, giving you a place to live forever. But my Mm -hmm. covenant also said that I will judge you if you fail the covenant commands. And so he's really focusing in on like, I want you to know that I'm the covenant God in my judgment. Mm -hmm. And I think... If they don't believe that, mm. if you don't believe God is being faithful to his covenant and judgment, you will not believe that he will be faithful to restore you.
0: Right. Yep. So you,
1: you kind of need the first one. If you believe that God's only going to do good things for you and then you experience bad things, you're actually going to doubt the good things were ever from God in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's right. You, you will think God's a liar. That's right. Or he's incapable. Yes. And maybe Babylonians God, Babylon's gods really did beat him. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay.
1: So Ezekiel wants to convince them of the horror of their sin, the necessity of God's judgment so that he can be faithful to his mm-hmm. covenant so that he might restore them to the promises, to the kingdom, to the land. I see. That they know that it's supposed to be theirs.
0: Yeah. Yep. If they know that their sins are horrible, they will know that God is faithful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Which yes. is a weird thing, but it makes sense now. Yeah. Okay.
1: And there might be a sense in which that repentance only comes after seeing the horror of your sin. That's right. And only once you've seen God's glory for what it is, you've seen what your your sin looks like compared to that glory.
0: Do you want to actually turn away from it? Do, yeah, that's exactly yeah, right. that makes sense. Okay, well, where are we picking up in so the book of Ezekiel?
1: let's pick up in Ezekiel chapter 8. Okay. Um, what we're about to read, and we're going to read 18 verses, what we're about to read here is God picks Ezekiel up and brings him back to Jerusalem. And that throne chariot is going to be back in Jerusalem.
0: And is this a vision or? Did... It's, a, it's a vision. Okay.
1: It's a vision, and while he's there, God is going to take him progressively deeper into the temple. So he's going to start at the outside wall and move into the most holy place. And as he moves through the temple, Ezekiel is going to see what God sees. Okay. And he's going to see idolatry. He's going to see unfaithfulness. Mm. And then he's going to say, this is the reason why I'm leaving the temple. Oh, wow. what, okay. you're, what you're seeing right now is why I'm leaving and why I'm in Babylon. Okay, So that's what we're about to read.
0: So God's going to give Ezekiel his view of the temple. That's right. Okay.
1: So A chapter one. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. And then I looked and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. Same way he's described the, you know, Mm -hmm. the being on top of the throne before. And below what appeared to be his waist was fire and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. Same description. And he put out the form of a hand and he took me by the lock of my head and the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem and to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north. And that's the temple. And that's the temple. Yep. And there at the entrance of the gate was the seat of the image of jealousy, Hmm. which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley.
0: What is the seat of the image of jealousy that provokes jealousy?
1: We don't know precisely what it is, but what is clear is that at the northern entrance to the temple, there is some sort of idol.
0: Right. Something that, and it's provoking God to jealousy.
1: He's like, I, this is my people. Yes. And I want to be in relationship with you. Yet you've erected a monument to another God that you would prefer to be in relationship with. Mm -hmm. And it's provoking me to jealousy. So at
0: at the north entrance to the temple, there's mm -hmm. a idol. Yes. That Israel is uh, cheating on God with. That's right. And God is provoked to jealousy.
1: That's Right. And so that's the first thing he sees. Okay. He's like, okay. And that's not good. That's not, not good. good. That, it's, I mean, it's the first, they're breaking the first and second commandment. You shall have yep. no other gods before me and you shall not make any images. Yeah. Not and a strong start. Not a strong start. Yeah. And then he said to me, son of man, lift up your eyes now towards the north. And so I lifted up my eyes towards the north and behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, the one that we've just seen, the same image of jealousy, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me away from the sanctuary, but you will still see greater abominations. So this mm-hmm. is really just a continuation of God's opinion of the the idol of jealousy. Yes. This is an abomination. This is the are you seeing what I'm seeing, Ezekiel? Yeah. This is the reason why I'm leaving.
0: Right. Yeah. And that and that's the wrinkle he's adding here is like, You're driving me out. Mm-hmm. You think that I could never leave, that I'm bound here but I'm actually being driven out by your covenant breaking. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. And then he brought me to the entrance of the court moving deeper. And when I looked, behold, there was a small hole in the wall. And then he said to me, son of man, dig in the wall. And so I dug in the wall and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the vile abominations that are being committed here. And so just imagine like you see a wall an yeah. interior wall to the temple structure, and you start digging through it, and then inside the wall is a whole nother room, right? So that's the- Wh- why didn't he just go through like the door? I'm not entirely oh, yeah. <laughs> sure why. I think maybe to highlight the hiddenness of this oh, or the sense. secretiveness of yeah. this, and I, it depending on which temple blueprint you read in scripture there are rooms inside the walls of the temple like mm. guard rooms or cooking rooms or yep. places for the priest to put their things like there are rooms in the wall so it might be one of those yeah and he's coming in
0: through a secret entrance yeah it's what's going on behind closed doors yeah that's okay that's the, that's what you're supposed to take okay, away from yeah. that.
1: that's cool verse 10 so i went in and saw And there, engraved on the wall all around, was every form of creeping thing and loathsome beasts, snakes, scorpions, spiders, millipedes crawling on the walls, and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them. And each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up, And then God said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room pictures? For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken this land. And so he said to me, you will still see greater abominations than this that they commit. Mm. So Ezekiel goes in a wall and sees them offering incense to other gods. And as they're doing so, they see all these, he sees all these creepy crawlies. All over the walls, all over the floors, around the, the feet of the priests. Mm. It's just a very disturbing image. Yeah. Like I'm just imagining like Temple of Doom in Indiana Jones. Totally what like, I was thinking. Cl- about. Cloaks and animals and monkey heads. There's yes. just this gross pagan, yeah, like terrifying, obscene quality to what's happening hidden in a room inside the temple.
0: Yeah, that's that's very disturbing. Why, why are they saying that God has forsaken Israel? Like, I, I get I get that, he, that they would say, like, oh, God doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they say he's, he's, he's forsaken us. He's left already. When I thought the whole idea of, like, temple-centric worship was God's bound to the temple. He doesn't leave or was it or or had they made the temple of an idol instead of a house like mm-hmm. i'm trying to figure out what's going on here
1: yes 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 that's a really good question so what we've been saying up to this point is that the people of god presumptuously believe that regardless of what they do god is committed to the land mm-hmm. and he's going to protect them and it and it's not going to be a problem that might be a little simplistic mm. it's not uh, we don't have to assume that every israelite thought the same way.
0: Yeah, they had the, a homogenous theology. Yeah, the,
1: the, the, is, the Israelite, Israelite presumption was monolithic, right. and everyone had the same problem. If you read the book of Kings mm. and the book of Chronicles, you'll see king after king after king kind of go back and forth on their relationship with God, and not trusting that God would deliver them or protect them from this army or that army, make a deal with another army or another mm-hmm. nation, import their gods as a sign of good faith, and yoke themselves to Egypt or to Syria right. or to whoever else in hopes of staying Babylon's invasion or Assyria's mm. invasion. So I think it just could be that. Like mm-hmm. God's people or these priests say like God is not protecting us or we don't believe that God will protect us. Right. So we're going to make a deal. Yeah. We're make a deal with the devil. Right, with these other idols. We're going to make a deal with these other nations, import their idols here in hopes that they will protect us when God doesn't seem like he will
0: be. Yeah, that makes sense. The other two things I thought of after you, as you're talking, was one was they could have seen the temple as just another idol. It's not the place where God lives necessarily. It's Mm -hmm. just as long as we have the temple, we're okay, Yeah, is one thing, Yeah, Uh, apart from the relational reality of the God who dwells in it. The other thing that could be is that's why he digs through the wall. Yeah. Is everybody else in Israel, you know, uh, thinks that God's there, everything's peachy keen, it's good. But then you dig through the wall and you get to the secret room, and the priests are like, no, the only reason why everything's okay right now is because we're keeping everything mm-hmm. together with duct tape by worshiping to these other false gods. Yeah. And it's, and there's this, yeah, the deal with yeah. the devil is actually yeah. there. Everybody thinks it's Yahweh. Yes, but they've got they've got a demon mm. in the temple.
1: That's fascinating. The other thing that's interesting here is they call the 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 people doing this are the elders of the house of Israel. Hmm. Is so, that different than the priests? I I mean that's what I'm wondering. Hmm. I, I didn't I didn't research that ahead of time. Yeah. But my get and he's also if we you remember back to the beginning of chapter eight he's talking to the elders of Judah sitting in exile. Yes. The other thing that might be more convincing than anything we've said hmm. before is that the. Leadership of Israel is just speaking out of both sides of their mouth.
0: Oh, they're hypocrites.
1: They're hypocrites. <laughs> like they believe God is for them, the <laughs> land is God's, the temple is God's, we are God's. That it's God's king, but they don't. When push comes to shove, what they're really doing is political machinations. They're making mm-hmm. deals behind the scenes. They're making treaties with other nations and foreign allies. They're importing their gods to hedge their bets, mm-hmm. and it's. A form of distrust in God. Right. They're doing all this stuff, and it's it's all lip service to God. Totally. It's like we don't do that. We don't do that at all. <laughs> and fascinatingly, like you know how Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Yes. Uh, that that phraseology comes from Ezekiel. He ah. calls a religious leader the leadership of Israel uh, whitewashed walls, mm. which is interesting because he just dug through a wall on the outside. You're saying everything's fine. Everything's good. Everything's yep. good. We worship Yahweh, but inside of the walls, what is there? It's You're just wheeling and dealing. You Mm -hmm. don't actually trust God. You trust your money. You trust your power. You trust alliances with other nations.
0: Mm. This temple's corrupt. Man, what would God see if he crawled through the walls of your (laughs) church? (laughs) Okay, moving on.
1: (laughs) Moving on. Uh, So he goes deeper into the court. Uh, Verse 14. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz, an ancient fertility god in Babylon. Oh, okay. Uh, and then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Yet you will see greater abominations than these.
0: They're weeping for the fertility goddess. Tammuz. And this is like uh, like they're begging her for children or... From
1: the, the mythology that I read uh-huh.
0: is
1: that the tears of the worshippers. Uh, would cause the goddess to bring rain on the land. Ah. Uh, and so the the, the worshippers would stir themselves up to tears yep. to cause the god to bring rain to the land. Whoa. So they're not trusting God for fertility in the land. They are trusting Tammuz. Okay. The elders of Israel are not trusting God for p- protection. They're yep. trusting other nations. Yep.
0: Um, and then he's like, keep digging. Let's see more abominations. Yes.
1: And then he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord and behold at the entrance of the temple of the Lord. So right in front of the Holy of Holies Mm. between the porch and the altar were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the East, worshiping the sun towards the East. And then he said to me, have you seen this? O son of man. Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they have committed here? And that they fill the land with violence and provoke me to further anger. Mm. Behold, they put the branch to their nose. And therefore I will act in my wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Mm. So you have the women of Israel. Weeping, you have the leaders of Israel wheeling and dealing behind the walls. Yep. And now you have the priests of God themselves. Worshiping the sun. Turning their backs on God yeah. and worshiping the sun. Which is
0: crazy because it's like when God's glory came into the Holy of Holies, it was with this brightness that could not be looked upon. Yes. And they turn That's away from the brightness of the glory of God to look at a created light that yeah. He made. Yes. Ugh. yes. Ouch. Is it is the is the fact that there's twenty five men. 25 priests significant in any way it is half a Jubilee so we've talked about
1: oh that's interesting we've talked about how Jubilee is a major theme yep number 50 and 49 are significant so it could be it's like oh it's a only 20 it's 25 yeah uh, it's like half a jubilee we are we're not there we're not there yeah uh Going although Ezekiel will use 25 positively hmm. later on okay so maybe it's just meant to evoke like the full number of proper priests...
0: Is here. Is here. And they're doing the wrong thing. And they're all doing the wrong thing. Yeah. So either way... The show is there, yeah. right? Yeah. What is it? What's the phrase? Uh, they, They've got the meat, but not the sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> all steak and no sizzle. All steak and no sizzle. <laughs> all all that's it. All steak and yeah. no <laughs> Got to bone up on my colloquialisms. Uh, that, if,
1: David, uh, if David was a prophet to Israel, you that's guys are I, all steak and no, no sizzle. No <laughs> sizzle. That's what I would have
0: said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this is... Why God is leaving. Mm. And so, what's we're, uh, I'll skip, I'll narrate for you what happens in the next chapter. After God gives Ezekiel a tour of the abominations in the temple, God calls six men with swords to the gate of the temple. Okay. And he says, I want you to execute all who I tell you to execute. And before he does that, he has a man dressed in linen with a pen in his hand come next to the six-man army Mm -hmm. and tells him to mark on the foreheads of everybody in the temple who are God's true people and God's true worshipers. And then everybody who does not mark gets killed. Okay. And then I could see you have questions.
0: Uh, yeah. Yep. Go, go go for it. Okay. Well, before I get into my questions about what sounds like the Book of Revelation to me, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I want to go back to Chapter Eight and 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 reflect on the story of Jesus because you already mentioned like Jesus used the same language to talk about the the uh, religious environment that he was in in his day. You have Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, corrupt priests. You have this whole thing yeah. going on, um, and so and that's an interesting connection. Yes. But I, I now that made me want to think about what's the good news of Jesus as the consistent priest, the mm. the, the 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 white temp- the white walls and the white center. Yes. Like yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like it's just fascinating to think about um through a a history of never ending corruption, it seems that if you dig through enough walls, you're always going to find an abomination mm. that in Jesus, yeah. the further into the center of him you get, there is only more faithfulness and consistency and goodness. Uh, I just yes. didn't, I was just yes. like thinking about yeah. that and it just adds a new layer of, okay, Jesus is the new Ezekiel. Yeah. And it's like, well, no wonder he had a big problem with the Pharisees. Yeah. Like that's what, He's coming to tear down this corrupt... Yeah, he dug to the center of it. Yeah. And that's what he found. And so Jesus is the new Ezekiel has the same Mm -hmm. issue Mm -hmm. with Israel as Ezekiel did in his day. Yes. Um, And he is... He's like, fine, I'll be the faithful...
1: I'll be the faithful priest. Faithful priest, the faithful (laughs) faithful ruler of Israel. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. Okay. Then the new stuff you just said, uh, I hear writing on foreheads. Yep. I think about the mark of the beast in yeah. Revelation. Yep. I hear swords against idolaters. Mm-hmm. I think of Mount Sinai and the, and the calling of the Levites to destroy yep. the golden calf people. Yep. Yeah. What's going on here?
1: I mean, I think those are all the right connections. To okay. Make. So whenever the
0: tribe of Levi
1: was first like chosen to be the priests in the temple, right. a very similar scene happened. Yeah. Right? There was a moment where people were worshiping a golden calf. Mm -hmm. And then God made a division somehow between the people who were worshiping the golden calf and those who were continue to be faithful to Yahweh. And the Levites were those who went and killed those who were not truly worshiping God and instead were worshiping the cow. And so in this moment right here, there's a repeat of the the Levitical story, the, Mm -hmm. the Levitical origin story. With this uh, this priest type figure who's dressed in linen, linen. Ther- with a writing quill yeah. in his hand, who's marking the true people of God. So right. you're you're totally right. That, that's it's a picture of God cleansing His people of idolaters. Mm. That's, that's what that's what we're reading. And
0: who are these six swordsmen?
1: I think it, they're supposed to be Babylon. Okay, I wonder. I, I think it's supposed to be Babylon. They're yeah. His
0: new instrument in His hand. His yeah. new chosen people that He's yeah. going to use to clean house. Which
1: is fascinating to think about. The priesthood is so corrupt that they the new Levites are Babylonians. That's crazy. <laughs> like the yeah. new the, the new the new heroes of the story mm-hmm. are the enemies of God's people. That's right. Another yeah. way to
0: show the horror of the, their sin, the That's depth right. of it. That's okay. right. That's exactly right. And then, right. what about the marking on the heads? Is Revelation pulling on this story, and what does that mean for our interpretation of it?
1: Man, so it's like I I like to call this the mark of the priest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's
0: uh, very good. Uh, uh, <laughs> the mark uh, of the beast. The, the mark of the priest. You know, the mark
1: of the priest, and so. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too much. Uh, it's, it is an, isn't it is a great uh, the mark of the priest. It seals or marks the true people of God. Okay, and so this isn't the first time something is written on foreheads in the Bible. In the Levitical codes, every priest is supposed to have a name, the name of God,
0: right. written
1: on their forehead. Yes, and so having something written on your forehead mm-hmm. is has been since Sinai a symbol of being a part of the true worshipers and the priestly class of God's people. Ah. And so in this moment, like it's like he's marking out the true people of God, and that gets carried over in, the new, in Revelation, where God marks his own people, but then the beast... Has his own mark. Has his own mark. And so he starts actively marking people who choose him over mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. right? Um, so yes. Okay,
0: fascinating. All right. What's yes, next? <laughs>
1: yes. Well, what happens next is the glory of God leaves.
0: Okay. The... So
1: like this is the, that man in linen, actually we see another vision of that throne chariot and we get a lot of the same details, yep. a lot of the same, it's like it's an extended description of the throne chariot again, but that man in linen, that priestly man with the riding utensil yeah. goes underneath the firmament among the four beasts, okay. among the wind and the spirit. And underneath there, there's a giant sensor of coals, like a giant thing of coals. And he goes in there and he picks up the coals and he scatters them over Jerusalem, burning Jerusalem. And then the glory of God leaves. Whoa. Presumably to meet Ezekiel in Babylon.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so
1: the ending, of, the ending of the vision is after Ezekiel tours the abominations happening among God's people. There is this final climactic act of judgment, where the about these six men, yeah. kill those who are committing idolatry, and then the man in l- linen clothes burns the city down. Whoa! And then God's glory leaves.
0: Who's this man in linen, and w- why does he have the right to go up on the chariot? Though?
1: He is never truly identified. Okay. Um. So you know, there's obviously theories <laughs> abound, but I think it. I think there's a sense in which it's just, it's God himself, Yeah, which makes me think it's also a picture of
0: Jesus. It's a Christocentric, or Christophany. A Christophany. That's what they call it. A
1: God, like Jesus is marking out his own. Yes. Saving his own and also burning to, to the ground a temple committed to idolatry and corruption. Oh, he did that again.
0: He did that again. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so this is this is Ezekiel's version of the cleansing of the temple is what you're saying. That's right. Yeah. Ah, that's right. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. What do I do with that? What do we
1: do with that, David? <laughs> I don't um, know. Let's just let's stay in this vein of thought for a okay. second. Remember, Ezekiel is trying to convince Israel of the horror of their sin, mm-hmm. and he's trying to paint it in as stark of terms as possible. Yeah, he's like said, like what you're doing. Uh, he's showing I'm crawling through the walls. I'm seeing how every level of Jewish. Religious society and society itself is committed to idolatry. Mm. I'm giving you a picture of the destruction of Jerusalem beforehand. I'm showing you all this to to show you how terrible your sin is. Mm. It's not just you're making political deals and hedging your bets. Right. That's a really prosaic way of saying that you are worshiping spiders.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? Like, right.
1: So he's like... He's in this mode of trying to provoke shock and awe yes. among the exiles, right? Because they've been doing
0: this for a long time. A long it time. It has become super common. This is
1: this is the way they've
0: always right
1: dealt with God and other gods and yes. other nations. And so Ezekiel is in this mode of trying to shock them to show them what this deserves. Mm-hmm. I say that to say, like Ezekiel gets far more graphic as the prophecies go on. Mm. And so I just kind of want to keep going okay. and showing you like what he's trying to do here. Um, and this kind of gets into maybe the the what are the first times I might have to give a family friendly warning on the podcast? Oh boy. Uh, because almost every scholar will talk about the pornographic description of Israel's mm. evil and its idolatry. So Ezekiel in chapter 16 Wants to evoke the sense of disgust at Israel's sin, and so what he does is he gives this allegory of this young girl, uh, who has been cast aside by her mother, so she's still attached to the placenta laying on the ground. Oh
0: gosh,
1: and God finds her and raises her up, and clothes her, and puts on beautiful jewelry to her, and then eventually marries her because he loves this. This young woman. Okay. But in response to this marriage, Jerusalem, in chapter 16, verse 15... Oh, so
0: the, the, the girl that he found mm-hmm. is Jerusalem. Is Jerusalem. God's people, Israel. Raised yes. her up, cared for her, married her.
1: Yeah, and then what happens is Jerusalem begins to trust in her beauty, in chapter 16, verse 15, and plays the whore mm. and pours out her harlotries on every passerby oh, who gosh. might be willing And then if you skip down to verse 25, it says, You built for yourself a high place at the top of every street and made your beauty abominable. And you spread your legs to every passerby to multiply your harlotry. In verse 36 and 37, he says, Jerusalem played the harlot with Egypt, Philistia, Assyria, and and Babylon. And the Lord, in response, threatens to gather all of her lovers... With whom you took pleasure, and expose your nakedness to them, that they may see your nakedness. So, what Ezekiel's doing in these chapters is he is casting Israel's idolatry as a breaking of a marriage, which a lot of prophets have Mm -hmm. done. Hosea does this, Jeremiah does this, but he is zooming in pretty explicitly on like the sexual infidelity Mm -hmm. that God sees, like. Our, our closest parallel to God's disgust of Israel's behavior would be our disgust at a wife do, like continuing yeah. to have sex with other men while claiming to still be married to us. Yes. And so he's describing it in as stark terms as mm. he can. Um, and the most intense probably comes in chapter 23 in verses 11 to 21. So if you're listening with family, consider muting for a second. So Ezekiel describes... Uh, begins to describe the whoring of two sisters. One's called Ahola, which is Samaria, so the northern tribes of Israel. Okay. And then the other one's called Aholaba, which is in Jerusalem, the southern tribes of Israel. And he says this, Samaria was the first to become a prostitute, but Jerusalem followed the same path and in fact was worse than her sister. She lusted after the Assyrians, governors and officials, the ones near magnificently dressed, horsemen riding on horses, all of them desirable young men. And she saw men portrayed on the walls, images of the Babylonians portrayed with vermilion, girded with belts on their loins, with flowing turbans on their heads, all of them looking like officers, like the Babylonians in Babylon, the land of their birth. And when she saw them, She lusted after them and she uncovered her prostitution and uncovered her nakedness. And then I became disgusted with her as I had become disgusted with her sister. But she multiplied her harlotries, remembering the days of the youth when she played the harlot in the land of Egypt and she lusted after her paramours, whose things, whose members Mm -hmm. is like the members of donkeys." and whose emissions are like that of horses. Thus you longed for the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians handled your breasts because of the breasts of your youth." And so this is Ezekiel's pornographic description mm. of Israel's political and idolatrous bargaining that mm. they're doing. Yeah. And I mean, it's pretty. it's provocative, it's yep. disturbing, Um, but it's also adding to, it's trying to convince people who are looking at their circumstances in purely political or social terms as horrifically sinful. Right. So I don't know what you're hearing there or thinking there, but Mm. I thought it was important. We read through that to see like you, Ezekiel's unique contribution Mm. to the prophetic canon and you, his unique care that he's taking to make sin horrifying. Yeah. To make idolatry horrifying.
0: Uh, Explain, I think to me, this would be helpful. If you can explain why Israel's idolatry and injustice is so horrific Mm -hmm. that it deserves this kind of treatment. Otherwise, I think Ezekiel would be guilty of editorializing or overstating Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. what gives him the right to actually... Like, maybe he's even still understating things because it's it's actually so bad. What makes idolatry and the injustice that he's seeing so bad that it's like this? I I think it's in
1: relationship to how God has treated Israel from the beginning. Mm -hmm. So in chapter 16, he's like, you were this infant cast off in the wilderness, wallowing in its own blood, still connected to the placenta. And I carried you up. I chose Abraham. I protected him. I gave you freedom. I gave you a land temporarily in Egypt. And when they enslaved you, I rescued you from Egypt. Mm -hmm. I gave you laws. I protected you in the wilderness. I fed you with manna. I fed you with quail. I gave you water. I gave you land. Mm. I gave you a king. Do you remember Solomon and how he was dressed? And if you read through this again, you'll just notice like he's describing Jerusalem, the bride. Mm. In very similar terms as he describes Solomon and all his opulence, like mm. I made you the jewel of the, the Mediterranean, weren't kings from all over flocking to you, right? Based on my care and my provision for you. And then what did you do? Solomon had three thousand wives. Yeah, and from that mo, and then really that's actually started way back in the desert when you first did it with the cow, mm. and then and so I think th- what gives him license to do this is that one it's supposed to be a contrast with how god has cared for her like i've cared for you like a loving husband and made you the most beautiful woman in the entire world Mm. and then you started spreading your legs to everybody else and paying them for the privilege Mm. you started giving away all the wealth that i gave you that that i filled solomon's coffers with to buy additional protection whenever you ever needed additional protection right uh, like what other political hedging did you need right. besides my provision? You have Yahweh. You have me. Yeah, <laughs> your God, your husband. Mm. So I think that's what gives him the right, right. to use this language. Yeah. and then even just considering Israel's own history, where sexual sin and sexual like the sexual nature of their idolatry became forefront pretty quickly. Mm. It's like there's implications of that with the golden calf. Yes, and then in Solomon in particular, the height, the the. The most beautiful Israel's ever been is also poisoned with the fact that he's married thousands of people mm. in political alliances and starts importing gods from other other places. Does yes. that
0: answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just, um, I just feel like we needed to yeah. hear it from not a metaphorical side, yes. but the historical side, to be like, what was really going on that warrants this kind of graphic yeah. language? So thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, so just to land the plane here... What, what Ezekiel is trying to do, and you've said it a number of times here, is to expose the horror of Israel's sin, yeah. That it, it because they've, they've become so used to it. It's become right. commonplace. They don't think twice about it. Right. Uh, and, and ever since Solomon, they've been doing it. Right. It's just yeah. part of their culture to have idols around, mm-hmm. to make uh, political alliances that break covenant with God, mm-hmm. to syncretistically weave God in with other... False gods, it's just that's the way things are done. And Ezekiel's shocking them awake yeah. with these images. Okay. Uh, what else?
1: I I think I think the question is like, why is the language so intense? Yeah. And I think that we've answered one. It's mm. like it's to shock you. Yeah. It's to, to shock you out of apathy, it's to shock you out of complacency with what Israel's considering status quo. But I also kind of think it fits the covenant era mm. that they're in. Yes. This is the end of the most advanced version of the kingdom of God so far. Mm. Like, God has given them kings, he's given them lands, right. and all of that's slipping away from them. What else could there be? Like, this is where Ezekiel's living during a time where the world as Ezekiel and Israel knows it, and their relationship with God as they know it, is totally unraveling. Mm-hmm. They're not like, they're in Babylon. God's temple is burned to the ground. The way that they've related to God since Joshua, the way that mm. they've hoped right. their relationship with God would work since Moses, is not working. It's mm. not going to be the basis of their relationship anymore. No land, right. no temple, no tabernacle, yeah. nothing. Right. It's So I think part of the, the, the craziness of the imagery is to represent the unprecedented nature of of the covenant era that they're in mm. everything related to the promises god have made so far is falling down mm-hmm. <laughs> like no kid, right right cause, yeah. yeah
0: either god is a liar and he's not keeping his covenant yeah and everything's gone and i guess we need to find a new god because his plan has gone kaput mm-hmm. or maybe we've done something so atrocious that we actually did trigger all those curses in the law yeah no that can't be right we, yeah we, 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 we were just doing the thing everybody does. Yes. And Ezekiel comes in and says, no, you do deserve the yeah. curses and the law. That's where we're at in the covenant of history. Yes. And you're facing it right now.
1: That's right. And this goes back to what we've talked about every like on, in every episode so far. It's like mm. one of the most common phrases used by Ezekiel and uniquely by Ezekiel mm. in the biblical canon with the frequency that he does is, so that you would know that I am Yahweh. So that you would know that I am the covenant Lord. Yes. Like, Israel is doubting God as the covenant Lord based, put, based on the Babylonian exile, right. based on what's happening. He's breaking all his promises to us. He's breaking all his promises to us. Or they doubt that he'll ever judge them because he's only going to give them the good things, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so Ezekiel's trying to prove that God will be faithful to his covenant. In judgment, and it is faithfulness to his covenant to judge you for your evil, to end the kingdom, to remove you from the land, to burn the temple down. This is faithfulness to the covenant. Yep, the covenant said all those things would happen. All those things would happen, and it just fits. If you're his bride, and that's the way that you acted, Mm -hmm. what would you expect? (laughs) Like, this is what happens in a divorce, right? And then as we've said before, it's like, if Israel can't believe that God is being faithful to his covenant in judgment... That means they'll never believe that he'd be faithful again to restore the promises that he wants to give them. Right. Right? And so you need the first one. You need to believe that God is faithful in judgment if you're going to believe the promises of restoration.
0: Yeah. So when Jesus comes on the scene Mm -hmm. and he claims to be the new husband to the harlot wife and he's the new Ezekiel, and now that i'm just seeing ezekiel mm-hmm. woven mm-hmm. so much into the jesus story like you yeah. you talked through last episode so if you missed that go back and listen to it but or stay with us and trust that yeah. jesus was proven as the new ezekiel very yeah. clearly what what's happening here like why uh, it just adds a new layer of mm-hmm. meaning to the husband thing that it, jesus is the new husband was always just this very beautiful language and it's Yeah, he's the husband who loves his bride, Mm -hmm. and he marries her. He makes her pure and holy, and it was always just like good, shiny things to me. Yeah. Well, now I see this vision of God as this heartbroken, cheated-on God, uh, and yet He comes back (laughs) in Jesus. (laughs) Right, and that is the most unexpected twist to the story.
1: Yeah, we kept saying like the darkness with which Ezekiel paints Israel it doesn't feel like you can come back
0: from no. it. Uh, no. What get kind to... of marriage that went through that <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> comes back to a healthy place? Right. Uh, even
1: within Ezekiel, when he starts talking about restoration and new lands, you're like, I don't understand how you can make this turn so
0: quickly. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, it's scandalous, yeah. the way that Jesus the groom comes back to his bride.
0: It's yeah. amazing. And uh, I think that is, the, and you said it in the very first episode, that the major theme, the, your thesis statement for the book of Ezekiel was something like uh, the yes. horrors of sin cannot stop new creation. Yeah. And it's like the uh, the adultery and idolatry and the horrificness of what we've done to God mm-hmm. and cheating on him cannot stop the husband from coming to claim yeah. the bride that he really still does love.
1: Yes, that he has covenanted himself. He has marriage covenant. That does not end. That <sighs> is not going to end. It's like what... How can it, God be that faithful? Right. And how can God overlook such presumption? Yeah. It's like because the presumption is like, we're, we'll always be God's people. We'll always have the land. We'll always have the temple. We'll yep. always be there.
0: And he's like, you won't, but you will. You will. And it's, it's like, like, yeah,
1: man. <laughs> <laughs> he gives them exactly what they're presumptuous about only uh, after judgment.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and we can see it really clearly in the story of Jesus at the end of his life when... He uh is talking about what he's about to go do. He's gonna go lay down his life for his for his bride, yeah. his loved ones. And Peter's like, oh man, me too. You know, I'll do whatever. I'll follow you to the end. I'll lay down my yeah. life. And Jesus is like, Will you? Before the night even ends, before the rooster crows three times, you're gonna deny me, you're gonna leave me, you're gonna be just like Israel was in Ezekiel's day. You're gonna sell yourself out through lies and deceit just mm-hmm. to try to escape judgment. Yeah. And yet, Right after he says that, he's like, oh, by the way, Peter, you know, the guy who's denying me the new harlot. Yeah. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Just a mansion Mm -hmm. with lots of rooms. I love you so stinking much. (laughs) And it's like, it just gets shoved together in such a (laughs) whiplashy ordering. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what kind of God loves like this? That probably brings us to another, like
1: something we haven't talked about yet. It's like part of Ezekiel's message is to convince them of the horror of their sin. Mm -hmm. But it's also to convince them of how scandalous grace is. Like you don't get a picture of grace without going really dark
0: first. Really dark.
1: And Ezekiel does that pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty powerfully and holds those two things right next to each other. And obviously so does Jesus. Yes. So does Jesus. Yeah. The thing that I keep thinking about in this particular passage and the thing that felt like devotionally rich for me was this idea that like judgment is love hmm. judgment is an expression of covenant faithfulness
0: i get th- yes that, that judgment is an expression of covenant faithfulness yes he said he would curse evil and he's yeah. faithful to his covenant when he does that yes how is it an expression of love
1: well because judgment is healing hmm. judgment isn't casting away
0: hmm. judgment isn't getting rid of judgment is purifying like right i do this we do this to our kids. Yes. Right. They're doing something harmful or like, so my my, yeah. my youngest, Eli, he is, my firstborn was like, you say, don't do that. And he just, yeah. oh, okay, dad. Eli just breaks down in tears. Yeah. And he's, he's just like, Eli, no. And he just starts crying. And so it's like, <laughs> he, he's like, he about to run into the street. Yes. You know? Yes. And just a car is barreling down. the can't do that. Street. Don't Stop. Do that. And he stops on the grass right before going to the road. He's crying and it's yeah. hard. He thinks I'm mad at him. I'm not. But I was just trying to protect him and heal him from his stupidity of running into the street. Yes. And it's like, yeah, judgment is healing. Judgment is healing. Okay. And
1: like, there's a couple moments throughout Ezekiel where he's like, God, what are you going to do with your remnant? And Mm. he's like, I will protect them. I will do amazing things for them. And we'll get to the, like, I'll give you a new king. I'll give you a new land. I'll give you a new temple. But Yeah. yeah, I think, I think that's it. Like judgment is healing and like, we should. And it's it's been challenging for me to think too. It's like I feel like something judgment that is something that Jesus experienced so that I could get love
0: oh, oh yes, okay, but
1: not judgment in itself as an expression of healing and sure. love, yeah, um, well, I mean it's
0: like okay, so if the best thing in the world is to be in relationship with God, yeah. And I have shoved a bunch of wrong things into that relationship where it's like, oh, I could trust God alone and live a really amazing life full of joy and trust and love. Instead, I also trust this God and I trust this thing and I throw myself after this. And instead of living in alignment with God and his world through justice and love for my neighbor, I'm just selfish and I do these other things. As God takes those things away, destroys those idols through acts of judgment. Yes. He's actually opening up the way of life that will be yeah. the most healing. He's, yes. Yeah. He's loving me by taking away things that are hurting me. He's, right. He's, he's ripping cancer out of my body. Yeah. And that's what he's doing to Israel. He's ripping the cancer out. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And seeing that
1: as an act of love. The phrase covenant faithfulness is the word hesed. Mm which is just another word that the Old Testament translates as love. Yeah, and it's like steadfast love. Steadfast love. It's like this is what it means for God to be God, to Mm. do both sides of these things. And I think just even cultivating an imagination where judgment isn't something that secures love or secures relationship, Mm. but is like part of the relationship of love in and of itself. It's the
0: thing I have to go through in order to get to the love part. right. Yes, but yes. it is love from front to back. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Okay, speaking of love and the, the, the other side of love, not just judgment, but salvation. Yes. Next episode? Next episode, we get to go into the back part of uh, Ezekiel, where he talks about
1: all the good stuff that happens. It, the new temple? New temple, new king, new land, new creation, a river of life. Flowing
0: and people fishing out of it. Let's go and a good. bunch of new crazy visions. It is
1: some um, a little bit, a little bit, couple more visions. All right,
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, and that'll be the last episode. It'll be
1: the last episode, possibly. Maybe unless we go really long. Okay. The awesome. <laughs> There's a lot more math. <laughs> oh no. Oh
0: boy. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining us on this episode of the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We hope you'll join us for our final episode in Ezekiel. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.